The Dark is Rising, a drama by Susan Cooper for BBC World Service. Episode 5, The Book of Grammary. Christmas Eve, the day when the delight of Christmas really took fire in the Stanton family. Wonderful baking smells permeating the house from the kitchen, the icing of the cake, and for Will Stanton, after breakfast, the great ritual of fetching the tree from Dawson's farm. When no one else was looking, Farmer Dawson slipped a sprig of holly into the top buttonhole of Will's coat. Holly is a good protection against the dark if pinned over the window or door. And then they carried the tree ceremonially through the front door over the threshold of the Stanton's house. And out of the boxes came the decorations that would turn the life of the family into a festival of twelve nights and days. That evening, six of the Stanton children, James, Robin, Mary, Barbara, Paul and Will, set out carol singing in the village. It was dark by the time they left. Robin carried a lantern on a pole and each of them had a candle in one coat pocket for when they would stand and sing. On through the village they sang until at last it was time for Miss Greythorn at the manor, the last stop before home. There, in the doorway of the manor house, stood Miss Greythorn's butler, smiling politely at them, and Will, as he looked up at him, swallowed his last high note. He saw a strong, bony head with deep-set eyes and an arched nose, fierce as a hawk's beak. Enchanting. What perfect singing. Bring them in, Mr Lyon. Don't keep them waiting on the doorstep. There she sat in the long entrance hall in the same high-back chair they saw every Christmas. Miss Greythorn. Paul, how are your mother and your father? Oh, very well, thank you, Miss Greythorn. And are you having a busy time this year, Will Stanton? I, uh, certainly am. Come on, everyone. For Miss Greythorn, good King Wenceslas. Oh, wonderful. Ready? Wonderful. Thank you so much. Good King Wenceslas looked out. Unable to walk for years after a riding accident when she was young, thin-faced, bright-eyed, her grey hair swept up in a knot, a figure of total mystery in Huntercombe. Glancing up, Will saw, with a shock as brutal as if someone had thumped him in the stomach... James? James? Robin? Mary? Move! ...that they stood there, immobile, all of Will's brothers and sisters, caught out of time. And as the music drifted into the distance, ahead of Will, emerging out of the dark, rose the great carved doors that he had first seen on a snow-mounded Chilton hillside. The doors? Yes, Will. We must pass through them again. Merriman raised his left arm, pointed at the doors. They opened, 
and Will walked with Merriman into the light of a different time and a different Christmas. Now they found themselves in a bright room unlike any Will had ever seen. High-painted ceilings, walls of shiny gold wood and a throng of people dressed like a brilliant scene from a history book. Gas lamps. What time are we in now? 1875. Not a bad year. Queen Victoria has been on the British throne for 38 years and here in Buckinghamshire, Miss Mary Greythorn is holding a Christmas Eve party with carols and music. Yes, ma'am. We've been waiting for you, Will Stanton, sign seeker. It's almost time. She knelt down beside Will. Now you must find your third sign, the sign of wood. Wood is the sign of learning. And when you've done with your own particular learning, you will find it. Come now. Can we have some more music? Some refreshment for the young man first, perhaps. A small man in a green coat was holding out a glass. Will took it. Oh, uh, thank you. And found himself staring into a thin, lively face, almost triangular, a disturbing face which turned away and looked at Merriman. And, and my lord, might I just... There's no need to call me that in this century, Hawking. Stop it, my lord. I have had the habit of calling you my lord for centuries now. Who are you? My name is Hawkin. Nothing more, just Hawkin. Hawkin belongs to me. He's my liege man. He has been with me all his life, as if he were my son. I took him where his parents had died. And no son ever had better care. Merriman put a hand affectionately on his shoulder. He serves me and I hold him in great trust, so great that I have given him a vital part in the quest for your learning, Will. Are you an old one? Nay, just an ordinary mortal man. But like you, Will Stanton, I do not belong to this century. I was brought here only to do one certain thing. And then my Lord Merriman will send me back to my own time when... Hawkin when... is a child of the 13th century, Will. <laughs> By my art, he has been brought forward out of it for this one day. Before Will had a chance to puzzle over this mysterious exchange, the man in the green coat took his elbow... Come with me, young old one. ...and began to steer Will across the room towards the side door. Don't trust me, do you? Good. Will hesitated, pulling back at the threshold. Don't trust anyone here unless you have to, boy. Merriman? Go on, Will. It is all right. Will, Hawkin and Merriman slipped into a small wood-panelled room lined with glass-fronted bookcases and in the corner a vast grandfather clock. Is this where I must seek the sign of wood? No, Will. That part of the quest will come later. Will glanced at Hawkin and saw his thin, confident face, tight with apprehension. Merriman walked across the room to the clock and opened the front panel. Guarded in this clock is the book from which you will learn your place as an old one, Will. 
It is a book of hidden things, of real magic. We call it Grammary. And the book is hidden here. Will could see the pendulum swaying slowly, hypnotically, to and fro, to and fro, and behind it, a small leather-bound book. He glanced at Hawkin and saw that he was trembling with terror. Hawkin? Yes, my lord. Come here. Oh, my lord, please. Come here. The time is now. Come on. Come here to me quickly, boy. Kneel. Kneel. Merriman laid his hand on Hawkins' trembling shoulder and reached his right hand into the clock. Shh. Shh. Hold still. For this to work, my hand must be on you. He stretched his long fingers along one side, keeping them as flat as possible. Slowly, infinitely carefully, to avoid touching the pendulum, and then, with a snap, he flipped the book out into the room. Catch it, Will! Will raised his hands, and the book flew into them as if coming home. What is it? A book that has been waiting for you for a very long time. Hawkin had collapsed into a crumpled heap. Talking all right. What's happened to him? He will recover. I had to weave a spell of protection for the book, a spell in two parts. First, the pendulum. I could not touch it or the book would be destroyed. Second, I could only take the book safely out past the pendulum if I were touching Hawking with my other hand. And if you failed? Then the book would be destroyed, and so would Hawking, perished as a mortal man. He risked his life Will! This is a cold battle we are in. And we must sometimes do cold things. Hawking has survived. We have the book. Now read it. Hawking staggered back to his feet, no colour in his face, and leant against the wall, traumatised as Will looked at him with compassion. In this room now, the book will accomplish its final purpose which is to bestow on you, Will Stanton, the last of the old ones, the gift of Grammary. And when you have the knowledge, Will, the circle will be completed and the book will be needed no longer. And it will be destroyed. And we shall leave you here to read, Will. And when you are finished, I will return. Merriman slipped an arm round Hawkins' back and half carried him towards the door, and the two men, one tall, proud, the other crumpled, diminished, made their way back to the music and voices of the next room, leaving Will sitting with the Book of Grammary. Will was never able afterwards to tell how long he spent with the Book of Grammary. It was truly not a book like other books. There were simple enough titles to each page. Of flying. Of the words of power. Of time through the doors. 
but instead of presenting him with a story or instruction, the book would simply give a snatch of verse or a bright image which somehow sent him into the midst of whatever experience was involved. I have journeyed as an eagle. I'm... I'm flying. I'm soaring aloft as if I had wings. No, I am wings. I'm sweeping and gliding. I can rest on the wind. I... I am an eagle. And Will knew as he flew that the eagle was one of only five birds who could see the dark, and instantly he knew the other four. I'm flying. I'm flying! Far, far up into the blue-black sky. And I can see the patterns of the stars. There, there, the bull roars by me, bearing the great sun, Aldebaran. And that's, that's the Pleiades he's singing, singing to me in small, beautiful voices. Upwill flew and outward through black space. And when he was done, he knew every spell of the sun and moon. He knew the despair of Mercury. He had ridden on a comet's tail, and in a flash, Will was blinking again at the page of the Book of Gramry, and into his mind came the story of the Old Ones. And into Will's mind, whirling him up on a wind blowing through and around the whole of time, was the magic that was the power of rocks and fire, water and living things, so that the first men lived in it and with it as a fish lives in water. And so it went on, and Will learnt the speech of all creatures that have ever been and the names of all the trees in the world's wild wood. The giant sequoia, the, giant sequoia, the, angel, oak, the angel oak, the ginkgo the and the mountain and ash, the mountain and ash. on and on and on and on until at last Will found that he had come to the end of the book and that facing the cover was... The drawing of the six circled cross signs all joined into one circle. And that is all. Will closed the book slowly and sat staring at nothing. He felt as though he had lived for a hundred years, and though the astonishing knowledge he had gained should have excited him, he felt so weighed down by it. Ah, yes, young Will, it is a responsibility, a heaviness, isn't it? But there it is. We are old ones, Will, born into the circle and there is no help for it. Come now, give me the book. Merwin, what are you doing? I am about to destroy the book of grammar, Will. What? So it will not fall into the hands of the dark. I will touch it against the pendulum of the clock that was its protection, and now will destroy it utterly. And then Will was staggering backwards, his hands flying to his eyes. What happened? And when he took his hands from his face, 
he found he was pressed against the armchair, ten feet from where he had been before. As old ones, the blast could throw us but not destroy us. The book of grammar is gone. Will, we are safe. But Hawken, where's Hawken? Is he safe? Oh, he is very much alive, Will. But something desperate is about to happen which involves Hawken, and I do not know how to prevent it. But come, let us join the party next door. You will see what I mean. And as Will glanced back into the room where the clock had been, there was no damage. No sign of violence or explosion. There was simply nothing. The dark, the dark is rising. Oh, the dark, the dark is rising. The dark, the dark, the dark is rising. The Dark is Rising, a drama by Susan Cooper. Episode 5 of 12 was adapted for audio by Robert McFarlane and Simon McBurney. Directed by Simon McBurney. Produced by Catherine Bailey and Tim Bell and is a Complicité and Catherine Bailey production for BBC World Service and is commissioned by Simon Pitts. <laughs>